okay? Um, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, if you want to turn there, we'll jump into this part of the text. The rest of this chapter, really, as we started last week, um, we, we, it's kind of strange. We just came out of Christmas, even though it was 80 degrees, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, Christmas was only like three weeks ago, um, which is kind of nuts still. Uh, and so we just came out of the Christmas time, and at Christmas time, at least here in the South, you know, we're still sort of surrounded by Jesus stuff, you know? Um, and you get cards with the little baby Jesus on it, and there's uh, stuff in people's yards with the little baby Jesus. Um, and he's, he just looks like a little angel, you know, and he kind of has that little glowing halo thingy around his head, you know, when we see him at, 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 uh, at Christmas time. And, and I think it's great that Christmas gives us this opportunity, and our culture still kind of uh, embraces a little bit of that part of Christianity where we're able to focus on Christ, um, some here at, at Christmas time. But I think because of the way that he's portrayed and then the way that, that we ignore him the rest of the year, um, that we forget who we're dealing with. Um, we forget who is leading us to a promised land. We forget who is directing our lives. We, we forget who is expecting us to walk behind him every day. Not the little baby Jesus that stayed in the manger, the one that grew up and died on a cross and came back and he says, follow me and give me everything, and I'll give you more than you can imagine. We forget many times that this son, this baby Christ Jesus, is the creator. He's the king. He's the light. He is the force that holds the universe together. And God is saying to us in Hebrews, listen to him, follow him, obey him, bend your heart to him, bend your will to him. So really, as we're going through the book of Hebrews and, and Today in particular, we're going to ask that question several times. What will shape us? What is it that's going to direct our thoughts and our passions and our choices in life? So as we think about Jesus, and not just the baby Jesus at Christmas and he grows up, and then we're trying to wrap our minds around, who was this person? Who is this person? One of the things that's come out here recently is a crowdsourced, crowdfunded online kind of experience called The Chosen. It has a very particular version of who Christ is that you can watch online now. Uh, if you're a little bit older, um, you remember a TV miniseries called Jesus of Nazareth, um, which had a very particular uh, version um, of who Jesus was and portrayed him in a very particular way. If you're even older, you remember a movie called The Greatest Story Ever Told. Um, and um, that had a very particular version and view of Jesus Christ. And then we rented out theaters about 20 years ago as we all went and saw the Passion of the Christ. Again, a very particular kind of version of who Jesus is. So at the end of it, I think we're kind of left with, man, will the real Jesus kind of stand up for us? Like, who, who is this person? Which one is the real version uh, what do we really know and understand about Jesus? Then we've got other religions that are kind of telling us different things about Jesus. You have the Mormons who kind of have their half-man, half-deity Jesus. Um, you have Jehovah's Witnesses, and in Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses, Michael the Archangel is Jesus. And so you have all this confusing information in our culture about who Jesus is, and then just trying to read Scripture and come to a full understanding of who He is. I want you to remember as we go through the book of Hebrews, that Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is better than and better than anything else that you can imagine. He's over everything else that you can ever imagine. So we're going to talk about angels today as we get into this text. 
And one of the things I want to remind you, if you have a if you have a lesser view of Jesus, if you don't believe, and I'm going to go hard here, a little theology, go read the Nicene Creed. And if you don't have a Nicene Creed understanding of who Jesus is, that means that the angels in heaven who worship Jesus are idolaters. There's a lot of idolatry going on in heaven if Jesus isn't God and Jesus isn't the king, okay? There's a lot of theology there. I'm just going to leave that one to hang there, okay? Look in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and you see who's being worshiped. And if Jesus isn't the king and isn't God, there's idolatry in heaven. This is who we're talking about. This is the God, this is the Jesus who is talking to us every day who says, I will walk with you and I will be with you and I will help you through your worst days and I will give you things that you can't imagine. It is that Jesus. So Hebrews, in just this one book, Hebrews is going to remind us that Jesus is perfect and he is the complete revelation of God to us. Because he's better than every other way to know God because Jesus is God. That is the message of the book of Hebrews. He is the best way to get to God to know God because he is God, right? So here's, this is just a summary of what Hebrews tells us about Jesus. Just this one book, you ready? Hebrews in just this book tells us that Jesus is God's agent of creation, that he sustains the universe, that he is the son of God, that he's higher than any other created being. He is eternal and unchanging in every way. He is called God, and he has kingship forever. He is worshiped by heavenly beings. He is God's first begotten who became human. There's a lot of theology in that text. He was the sinless and final sacrifice for our sins. He is our sin bearer. He destroyed the devil by his death. He rose from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God. He is fully understanding of our temptations. He intercedes for us when we sin. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament system and he makes God directly accessible to us. He is always with us. He is our example. He is our priest. He is our brother. He is the mediator of a new covenant. He is the whole substance of our faith. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is coming again, and he will ultimately triumph over everything. That's just Hebrews. Amen. Y'all, that's just the book of Hebrews. The, Bible, the entire Bible says the same things about Christ. 66 books point you to Jesus and say, look at him. He is beautiful, and he is glorious, and he is worth your life, and he's worth every moment and breath that you take. That is the message that we will get through the book of, of, uh, of Hebrews about Jesus Christ. Can we pray and we'll just ask the Lord to show us these things about Christ? God, I pray you would open up our hearts today. And I have words and I've got lots of words that I want to share. And I've got things I think you've given me, God, but I want your Holy Spirit right now to open up our eyes. I can't argue anybody into anything and I can't convince anyone of anything. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and speak through our lives and our hearts right now. Would you just pray that? Holy Spirit, speak to me. What do I need to see about Jesus? What do I need to understand about who he is? What do I need to understand about giving my life to him and walking with him every day? Holy Spirit, speak to me. Father, we're counting on this today. Meet with us right now. In your name we pray, amen. We are quite taken with the idea that there is something else out there, right? Humans are notorious for looking for something else, right? Um, we look around, we wonder, I think we hope that there is something else out there. And then we kind of run through, we get to angels and we're like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what's out there. This, they're amazing. We've made 
TV shows and movies about them, Touched by an Angel, Supernatural, Lucifer, Good Omens, Preacher, uh, Michael, Highway to Heaven. <laughs> Remember Highway to Heaven? How'd the, di- how'd the dad from uh, the, the pra- prairies get onto the, uh, yeah, how did he get there? Um, the problem is with angels, we don't know what to do with them. When we look at them and we think about them, all we know is, is that they're amazing and they're better than us. They're, there's something about them that makes them more incredible than us. We're not sure what they are. Are they dead people earning their wings? Are they faulty followers of God? Are they some kind of spiritual power broker? Are they female-looking men or men-looking females? We're not sure what to do with that. Do they have wings and halos? Are they really just kind of fat babies that fly around, you know? <laughs> Little cherubs uh, at Valentine's Day. Angels are given real power and real authority, and they interact with human beings. They interact with us, and we don't know how, and there's a mystery to that. We don't know exactly how that happens or how that manifests itself. We have glimpses in Scripture, but there's a reality to angels that we don't want to deny. We certainly don't want to deny it. So we look around, and we're like, man, there has to be something there, and angels are kind of amazing, and some of us are like, okay, I can bite off something that might be like angelic. I could, I could do that without sacrificing my intellect, but really beyond that, we can't know too much. So here's what I would say. Hebrews is kind of answering this question today as we look through this section that we're going to look at. The author is telling us, God is telling us, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to walk around wondering if there's something better. You don't have to wonder, walk around wondering if there's something other than us, and hopefully there is. God has decisively spoken to us, and he has shown us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. However wonderful angels are, they merely point to God's glory. All they do is point to God's beauty and his creative power, whereas Jesus embodies the Godhead. He embodies God, and he is better. So we don't have to wonder anymore what else may be out there, and we don't need to end at the angels. We don't have to stop with angels or make them more than Scripture says that they are. So let's just go back in time. And if you lived around the time when the Sistine Chapel was being painted, and there's a guy standing around outside, and he's doing, like, fire-eating tricks, and he's making marbles disappear under cups and all that stuff, and he's, like, telling everybody that comes by, he's like, you should see inside of this place. Inside of here, there's this amazing painting this guy Michelangelo is doing. He's a genius. Matter of fact, I've drawn you a picture of what's inside this building. If you could just see what's inside of here, and you stopped, and you hear this guy, and you're like, man, I don't know about that Michelangelo, but this guy's amazing. Maybe there's a Sistine Chapel, maybe there's a Michelangelo somewhere, but I'm going to do, I'm going to go to all this guy's seminars because he's incredible. Look at the tricks that he can do. Look at the power that he has. Listen, that's an angel, and it is woefully short of the glory and the beauty and the power of Jesus Christ. That's all they're doing is telling you you should look inside at the glory of God, and if we stop at the angels, all we're doing is stopping at the carnival barker. And we never go in to see what's inside. Jesus is God, and he has come to reveal the heart and the soul and the force and the power of God to us. So that means he not only deserves our Sunday morning singing and our offerings and our money and our time and everything else that we have, he deserves our daily lives and our work and our school and our marriages and our attitude on the playing field and our joys and our dreams. He is not God's messenger. 
He's what all the other messengers and the angels have been pointing to. He is the message. That is the God and the Jesus that we're going to look at today. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 says when he had uh, let's see when he had made purifications of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they for to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today I have begotten you and again I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me and when he again brings the firstborn into the world he says and let all the angels of God worship him and of the angels he says who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire but of the son he says your throne O god is forever and ever and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions and yes lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the works of your hands they will perish but you will remain and they all will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, footstool for your feet? So the author is going back and he's making this case that Jesus is the greatest other thing that you can imagine. Is there something else there? Yes. What, what could it possibly be like? Look at Jesus. He's the most incredible other thing that you can imagine. And this entire book will tell us to look at Jesus and inspect our lives. Do our lives line up with what we say about Jesus? With what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus? Does my life line up with that? So what kind of church will we be? What kind of people will we be? You need to ask the question, what kind of person will I be? Will my life daily be lived in community like we're brothers and sisters with each other and we are traveling through this world to another world together? Will we live like this is all there is and squirrel things away and put money here or will we be giving and providing for other people and investing in God's kingdom like this is not ours and we aren't taking any of it with us and to love one other person is to see the face of God. Will we live like we can do what we want sexually? Will we live like we can do what we want with our bodies and our minds, believing that this little tiny blue speck and the philosophies and the beliefs and the values of the very smart people who live here and the wealthy are worth giving everything that we have for because they tell me it's best? We live like there is a future world, a better world that Jesus is making for us where our needs and our wants and our hopes and our dreams are met in fullness. Will we finish well? What kind of church will we be? What kind of people will we be? Will TSF be marked by spiritual people who really love this world? Think about that. Will we be spiritual people who really love this world or will we be godly people who love the people of this world and we are deeply, truly, practically, daily devoted to God and his morals and his future for us? You can be spiritual and love this world, or you can be godly and love the people of this world and live like this is not your home. Amen. Which one will we be? That is the challenge that this book will face us with over and over and over again as we go through the book of Hebrews. 
So he goes back and he quotes all these Old Testament quotes. It probably looks funny in your English Bible, like it's offset or maybe the words are all capitalized. And basically what they're saying is these are quotes from the Old Testament. So the author is saying, see, the Old Testament supports the idea that Jesus is better. And here are seven places, seven quotes that I'm going to give you that tell you that Jesus is better and greater than the angels. Now, it's seven on purpose. That's not by accident. If he's writing to Jewish people, that seven would have been like a, a number of completion, a number of perfection, a number of holiness, right? So he's like, here's a, per a perfect argument for why Jesus is greater than the angels. He goes back in verses four and six, and he quotes 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, Deuteronomy 32. He mashes them together, and he says, Jesus is the son of God, and the angels aren't. And the angels have to worship Jesus. He says in verses 6 and 7, he quotes Psalm 104, and he says, angels are like wind and fire, mysterious and powerful, but God tells them what to do. Verse 8 and 9, Psalm 45. Psalm 45 is really interesting, and you should probably go look at it sometime if you want to really study the book of Hebrews. Psalm 45, and it's a psalm about the Messiah, about a coming Savior. And in this Psalm, that Messiah is also called God. He's a king whose reign never ends. There's this reference to a righteous scepter and loving righteousness. Basically, his point is angels choose to live righteously with whatever kind of free will they have, whereas Jesus is righteousness, and he loves it because it flows from his very being. So he's better than the angels. Verse 10 quotes Psalm 102. What is more solid and lasting than the foundation and the pillars of creation? Like, what can we imagine that doesn't involve matter and time? Jesus outlasts all of it. The most elemental pieces of creation and time itself. Jesus pre-existed, and he will exist long after it's gone. He is self-existent because he is God. He doesn't depend on anything to exist, but the angels do. Psalm 110 in verse 13. None of the angels get a name above all names. None of them have all creation at their feet, but Jesus does. His enemies, the saved, tortoises, quarks, rocks, rainbows, good and evil, anything you can think of, become the footstool of Jesus because God is taking all of them and he is moving them to, to fulfill the plan that he has for us through Jesus Christ. And they are the footstool of Christ. They sit under his feet. Then he finishes by saying, and we didn't, we didn't, we'll read this in a second, verse 14. He says, man, angels are great because they do God's bidding and they help people, but they're merely servants. Jesus is greater. Angels are just ushering in the work that Jesus is doing. So those are the seven arguments he makes to say that Jesus is better than the angels. Verse 14, he says, Are not they angels, aren't all the angels ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? The other, another theme that's going to come up here in the book of Hebrews is what is Jesus doing? What is his work? What is his ministry? What is the point of Jesus' ministry? Write this down and understand it, okay? I think that because we have a deficient view of this, it changes how we live as Christians. Here's Jesus' ministry. He is making us holy and worthy to be able to come into the presence of God. What is Jesus doing? He is making me holy and worthy 
so that I can enter into the presence of God. Now, part of that is the removal of sin. You and I have a sin problem. Not that we sin, we are sinners. Okay? And God has to take that away. That is the sacrifice of Christ. When he dies on the cross, he removes our sins. But it's more than that. Jesus is doing this. He is infusing God's holiness in us so we can come into his presence, so we can live with God forever. Simply because you remove sin doesn't make something holy. Bats don't sin, but bats are not holy. You understand? Simply because you remove the sinfulness of a thing doesn't make it holy. Holiness has to come from somewhere else. What is Jesus doing? Removing your sin so God's holiness can be infused into you so that you can come and stand in the presence of God, so you can live with him. So our hearts can become his temple, where Jesus ministers the graces of God to us, and he fellowships with our spirit, and then he does it forever. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. Angels simply make sure that happens. They just help with the process. Christ is doing all of that. And those of us who have said that we're following him, we've given our life to him. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Again, here's the kicker of this whole book. Here's the kicker of being a Christian. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. Just that one verse. I want to ask this question. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough? If he's all that you're left with, is he enough? Is there something better out there than Jesus? Is there something else that's more excellent? Here's another way to ask that question. What is your heart aimed at? What are your loves directed toward? Do you love, does your heart grieve for a relief from pain? Are you eaten up with the idea of somebody recognizing you and what you've done? Do you want reward or happiness or more or sex or adventure or children or grandchildren? That's where your heart's directed. And in your mind and in your heart, it's better than Jesus. If everything gets stripped away, is Jesus enough for you? I would, I would encourage you, a challenge is too strong, encourage you, find something that Johnny Erickson Tata has written and read it. See what it's like to be stripped of everything for 40 years on this planet and what it looks like to live in a faltering daily faith with Jesus when everything gets stripped away from you. So this is great theology. But this author, the book, uh, the, the author of the book of Hebrews is challenging us to evaluate our hopes and our loves and our affections, the direction of our hearts. So here's the practical application of this. Do you just constantly need more stuff? Are you constantly worried about who's going to secure my future? Are you truly investing in the future of God's kingdom, material, relationally, creatively? Is Jesus enough? We experience true character change when our loves are changed. Who you are changes at the root of who you are when what you love changes. 
our loves are changed. How does that happen? When we see Jesus in his glory willingly being crushed for your sins, raised from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father, accepting the glorious and loving invitation to follow him, that's when my heart gets changed. What I love determines what I become. What I love is what I put my hope in. Where are your hopes? What are you hoping in? That's what you love. And what you love is what you'll become like, and it will determine who you are. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I looking at him and loving him more every day and every month and every year? This is not measured in Bible verses memorized or length of time in a quiet time or fasting or church attendance or even temptation overcome. Here's the measurement. Is your character being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ to look more like God? Is his holiness becoming more real in you every day? As it happens, to the degree that it happens, it's a reflection of your love and where your heart's attention and affections, your core affections are bent toward. Is Jesus enough for you? That is the challenge that we receive over and over and over again is Hebrews says, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. It's not so that we would sing praise songs to him, so that our lives would be bent toward him and submitted to him and we would act, believe, think, talk like he really is the most incredible thing. So we may not struggle with worshiping angels because I do think that's what was happening back here when this book was written. So we don't generally struggle with that, but we do have our struggles. We struggle with idolatry, which we've talked about. We struggle with seeing this world and the difficulties of this world because I can see this world and feel this world. I know how this world works and the tension that is that Jesus is making another place for me that's better than this. There's a struggle there and I find my heart very attached to the things of this world. Chapter 2, verse 1 it is a strong, strong, repeated warning, I think, for us. That we would hear it and we would see Christ so that we would not drift away from it. Look at verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This is the warning that we'll get. There's a, a two entire chapters that we'll go through that warn us to not drift away from the beauty of Jesus Christ, from the majesty of who he is daily. In light of this amazing truth that Jesus is God, that Jesus died for you to bring you to God, and he lives with us now, in light of that, don't live like this is our home. Don't live like these joys are my highest good. Did y'all catch that? Don't live like the joys of this world are my highest good. Jesus is better and he is enough and he's building a forever home with you. The book of Hebrews is like keep going with him to the end. Keep walking with Jesus to the end. The whole book is a warning. Here it is. We're going to hit it again and again. You cannot possibly know Jesus and his superiority and his love and cease to follow him. That's what Hebrews says. You can't possibly do that. Impudent, immature faith 
that refuses to grow up and it, it will expose you to all kinds of false beliefs and false lifestyles like this. Material possessions are the epitome of God's blessings. Therefore, I must have and strive to have more and bigger and better and keep what I have because that's how God blesses me. Sickness and death are always only the result of a deficient faith. Therefore, I have to believe more and better. Circumstances can only be changed by my words uttered in belief that words change things. So I must say only positive things and believe harder that those words change things in and of themselves. If I struggle with overcoming a particular sin, I will lose my position as being saved from sin and part of, my, a part of God's family. I can live like I want after I'm saved. Once I trust Jesus to take away the penalty of my sins, I can do what I want. If there's not a growing sense and a reality of Jesus' reign in your life and your choices and your emotions and your desires and even what tempts you, if those things aren't growing, changing, evolving, and maturing, you have to at some point or another ask myself, am I simply deceiving myself? Am I hinging my entire eternity on a prayer I prayed when I was six or 13 or 25? What evidence of life change and maturity is there in my life? This is the warning of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is great and he's amazing and he's higher than everything else and he calls you to give you your entire life to him. Minus evidence of that, you need to start to ask yourself, am I being self-deceitful? You think I said it hard? Read Hebrews 3 and 4. We're about to get into it. When the author really, really challenges with this. So to the Christian, the writer of this book is saying that it is not enough that you say that you know Jesus Christ. You must love him and pursue him and walk with him daily every breath that you take. If you don't, you will lose your battle with temptations. You will grow cold and bored with the things of God and the ways of God. You'll be confused and frustrated by the difficulties of this life, and you'll quit. If we don't finish with Christ, a serious question has to be asked. Did we really begin with Christ and believe in him in the first place? I also want you to know that as I say this to you, I understand that I'm walking on some thin ice, and I want to be very careful not to be manipulative in any way. But you can't read through the book of Hebrews without asking this question. Because Hebrews is only going to leave you with two choices. One, you can lose your salvation, which I think argues against the rest of Scripture, so you can't. Or, maybe I was never a Christian in the first place. Those are the only two options Hebrews is going to leave us with. So to the Christian, to the person who says, I have followed Jesus, Hebrews will consistently come at you with, what are you doing? Do you love him more? Do you see him as beautiful and glorious and better than everything else? Where are your loves? What's your heart pointed at? Over and over and over again. And calling us to live by a faith that can't be explained in a Jesus that's too amazing to understand. There are others of you in here, and you're not a Christian. You're like, wow, this is so heavy. Why would I ever become a Christian? I want you to pay really close attention to what we're talking about here, because I am making an intellectual, philosophical, theological, practical argument 
Jesus is better than anything else you can ever imagine on this planet. However, however great and creative your puny little mind is, Jesus is better. If I'm right, it should challenge everything that you believe to be true about this world. Jesus is better. He is the eternal God who came to be in a human body, to take away my sins, to make me holy, so I can be God's temple and live with him forever. I can't argue you into that. Jesus is better than whatever. And man, Christians, you need to start filling in the blank. Some of you are terrified. I think I'm right with Keller. I think Keller's right. The thing that you're most terrified of losing is probably the thing that your heart is directed at and that you love. That's your idol. Jesus is better than, and put a blank and just start putting something in there. And pray that God changes your heart's affection so that that doesn't rule your life with fear anymore. And that you really begin to see Jesus as better, better and more beautiful than even that. Can we do that? That's a big challenge. You can do that all through the book of Hebrews while we're in it. Change my heart's affections. Change my loves. Jesus is better than fill in the blank. Only the Spirit can open up your mind and your ears and your eyes and your hearts to this thing that Jesus is better. And that's what I'm praying. The people who have been here playing the game, those of you who have been churchy and religious-y and all that stuff, that's awesome. I'm praying that you understand that Jesus is better and you give your heart to him forever. That that's what we see happen in our church over the next six to eight months as we walk through the book of Hebrews. That we see Jesus as beautiful, worthy of our eternal lives, and worthy of our every breath that we take. Father God, I pray that you would speak this into us. There are people right now, they need to respond to salvation. They need to respond to this idea that Jesus really is better than, that you're the only way that we get to God. Only you can take away our sins. Only you can give us the holiness that we need. Not angels, not anything else is better than, more glorious than, more powerful than Jesus. God, I pray that you would convince us of that. Those who are not your children here today, save them. Convince them that no amount of church, no amount of having good things, no amount of health, no amount of money is better than Jesus. Convince us that of, as your children. God, for the lost person here today, God, show them your glory. Draw them in a way that they can't say no. Save people. Because Jesus is better. He's better than anything in this world. We can't top it. Nothing can. You're the only way to God. Thank you for this word today. It's time of worship. You are worthy. You're worthy of our lives and of our praise. In your name we pray, amen. Several things. Pastor Jared's going to come. I just want to kind of highlight again our Uganda stuff. I think we have a couple of kids. I don't know the numbers. Do we have some children left to still? Will somebody be at the table? Okay, somebody's going to be back at the table in the back. If you would like to sponsor one of the kids, I think it's about $30 a month. We have somewhere between two and four children that need to be, be sponsored uh, in Uganda with Pastor James. I really want to challenge our teenagers and our college kids.